guys. Welcome to episode 19 of the Atlas Podcast. My name is Emma Loggins, editor-in-chief at fanbolt.com. And Jakai is out this week, so we have a special guest host, Maddie Ryan with Frago Comics. Hey, how's it going? Hey. <laughs> You're really excited to be here. I am. I can tell. <laughs> um, so the outline for our show today, we have the Stranger Things interview that we teased for you guys last week. And then we're going to go into our review for Suicide Squad and Florence Foster Jenkins. And we also have an interview with, um, or part of an interview with Simon Helberg, um, who stars in that film and, of course, is best known as Howard on Big Bang Theory. And then you can read the rest of that interview up on FanBolt uh, later this week. So, Stranger Things. Maddie's only five episodes in. I'm only five episodes in. How that's, a little bit slow, but that's... How fine. that's possible a month after it came out, I'm not sure, but... Yeah, it's called Life. <laughs> it's called Life, and I just binge-watched it in uh, two days straight when I saw it, but that's fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm a terrible human being. I've been giving him crap about not being up-to-date on this for a while, so... You're in the home stretch. I'm in the home stretch. It's only eight episodes. <laughs> Not a big commitment, but uh, um, so what's your thoughts on it? I've, I've been enjoying it. It's the level of detail to the show and just the uh, suspense and it, drama have been fantastic. It, it's probably one of the few shows that I actually get chills when I watch sometimes. That's fair. I think it's the greatest show ever, pretty much. <laughs> It's my favorite show of 2016, hands down. I, I would I would pit that against Mr. Robot, but... Well, know. that premiered in 2015. Mr. Robot but, but was the season, best of 2015. Season 2 is still looking pretty good. Season 2 is getting violent. A little bit. A little bit violent. Um, but back to Stranger Things. I ordered my Dragon Con and Halloween costume. Gonna be... 11. I'm pretty stoked about that. <laughs> pretty stoked about that. If there's anyone else out there that wants to cosplay as a part of this uh, little Stranger Things So, So group. you're going to be 11 a few years in the future is what, what you're doing? or Oh, I'm doing, like, I'm going to do the blonde wig version, and she's just going to be a little bit taller. Okay. Yep. I can do the evil glare. And everything. It's going to be great. You're going to have the bloody nose and all? I am going to have the bloody nose. i got to yeah. buy some fake blood. I've never done, like, that before. But I know people that have. Shouldn't be too difficult. Shouldn't be too hard. No. Um, and then Mr. Robot cosplay, which I've been harassing you about for a while. <laughs> yes. Maddie does think... an awesome Mr. Robot cosplay. I, I make a very decent Christian Slater. A <laughs> very decent Christian Slater. <laughs> high praise, high praise. Um, so we're going to play for you now an interview with two of the boys from Stranger Things. Ben Wolfhart, who plays Mike Wheeler, and Gaten Mazarazzo. Did I say it right? Matarazzo. Matarazzo. Wouldn't be the Atlas if Emma wasn't butchering names. Um, who, of course, played my favorite character, Dustin Henderson. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. I and Will's. You're in, you're in Will's, but you're not Will. I'm not Will. Look at the old spray cans. Dude, I know. It's like cans. We're still freaking out about the 80s stuff here, and we've been here for like half a year. It's just making me feel old. <laughs> cool. So, what's up? 
So tell us about y'all's characters. Ooh, you want to go first? Yeah, um, so Mike is kind of like the leader. My character Mike, he's kind of the leader of the group, like Mikey from the Goonies. Um, he's kind of, he's he can be like really precocious at times, really funny, and then really serious, like solemnly serious about like finding his best friend Will. And I think that's why I like him, because he can be so relatable to people who grew up in the 80s, and they're like, hey, I was kind of like that, or I had a friend like that. So, yeah. Well, Dustin is a gregarious, foul-mouthed 12-year-old boy, and um, he's, he's just, he's really outgoing, and he's, he's smart, and he's not really, he's not really brave. He's kind of like, he's a coward at first, but, like, he really wants to, like, be brave when he needs to go find his friend, and everyone, like, kind of has, like, their own part in the group, like, Mike, like Mike said, he's the leader, Lucas is kind of, he's kind of, like, the strong person who's, like, realistic, Will's kind of the one we protect, and Dustin's kind of the glue that keeps everybody from separating, he kind of keeps everybody together. Uh, what was your audition process like? How did the, how did you come about the role and go to the parts? Um, well, my uh, agent emailed me and he was like, "This part is perfect for you," because I'm obsessed with retro like uh, '80s movies. Like Goonies is one of my favorite movies, and like Sixteen Candles and like Raiders of the Lost Ark, all those movies. Oh, and so I read the script and I was immediately fall uh, I immediately fell in love with it. And then so my um, I auditioned for it, and they really liked it, so they just, they were like, hey, do you want to Skype? And so we Skyped, and we talked about just, like, movies that we liked, and we just talked like we were best friends, and they are like, oh, by the way, do you want to come down to L.A. to do, like, a screen test? And then uh, I did the screen test, and they asked me back again, and that was it. Well, mine was a little different. Mine, I'm from New Jersey, so I went straight to New York. And they had me read for someone. There was a camera in there. And I originally auditioned for Mike. And um, they said I didn't look demanding enough. So they said, <laughs> come in for the more, like, quirky, funny. He's the comedic relief. And they're like, come in for that character. But they had me read Lucas lines. So I originally auditioned for Mike. And then I went in for Dustin reading Lucas lines. So it was really complicated. Makes it was sense. like, am I auditioning for Lucas <laughs> or Dustin or Mike? I don't really know. And then that's when they had me Skype with the Duffer Brothers, the directors of the show, Matt and Ross, and they they kind of told me, like, I would be going in for Dustin, and they said, why don't you come down to L.A.? And before that, they were, like, talking about, like, what kind of 80s movies do you like? And I said, I like Jaws and Stand By Me and all the classics. And then they told me to go down to L.A., and I flew there for the final audition with um, Finn. I was there with Finn. That's where I met him. And I actually met Millie there, too. Very briefly, I met Millie, but I read with Finn. And after that, I was the first one. I was the first of the kids to be cast in late June. And I didn't go for the final screen test in July, was it? It was July. It was July. And... I had already known Caleb, who plays Lucas, before the audition started, so when I found out he was going to be in it, I was really excited. And when I found out he was going to be doing it, I was excited, and yep, that was my audition process. <laughs> oh, what's been your favorite episode to film so far? 
Oh. <laughs> like the whole episode? Uh, yeah. The whole episode. Oh. Just the whole experience. Episodes. But we film. It's really different because we film two episodes at a time mm-hmm. scattered around. So we'll be filming an episode from like, we'll be filming a scene from episode six. And then we'll do an episode, we'll do a scene from episode five the next day. So it's kind of hard to put them all together. Mm-hmm. But probably the coolest scenes to film were probably in episode eight. Because that's when all the yeah the action seven happens. seven and eight has been fun to film. I really liked shooting one and two. One and two was great. Cause Three and four was it. really fun to shoot with Sean Levy, who oh, yeah. took over for two episodes. Um, that was really fun too. He was he was great. He was amazing. Yeah, basically all of them. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's, it really it's give one <laughs> story. It's not. Like, it's like it's hard to choose one episode. It's kind of like a book series that continues. Like I mean, the the coolest episode. Uh, coolest episodes are probably seven and eight. Yeah, because it like ends it like it's it ends climate. it all. And, mm-hmm. But it's kind of like a book series. Like you read the first one and it's great. You read all of them, and you can't really choose which one if it's like a continuous story. So it's kind of hard to pick what your favorite episode is. Do you you guys feel like working on a Netflix project has has been different in terms of the production and the filming as? Well, this is my first series regular uh, in a TV show, so I don't really know <laughs> what's different from other productions because I n- never film with other productions. Hopefully, I do get to work with other productions and I get to compare with the differences that's like with Netflix and other networks. Um, I was kind of the same way. I mean, I've been in a bunch of indie stuff because I'm from Vancouver, and so. And I did uh, guest roles in the CW for like Supernatural and the One Hundred, but that was like the like the real studio stuff I've done is you for the One Hundred. Yeah, I was in the One Hundred, and didn't know uh, that. See, we learn. You learn about <laughs> each other every day. You learn about it every day. <laughs> um, but like, it's a lot different now because those were guest star roles, and it was just like, okay, one and done. Thanks for coming. Yeah, I. It's I, like, I you were on the blacklist. I was on one episode of the blacklist, and. I don't think it was enough to get the full experience of what it's really exactly. like. Exactly. Like, this has been, like, the full experience for yeah, sure. Yeah, the full experience for sure. What do you think, like, the main thing you're going to take away from this production is in terms of just favorite memory? <sighs> just, like, learning things. Like, learning new things. Like, I learn a new thing every single day about acting, about directing, about producing. Yeah, like, when I, mean, I was at home, I'd do, like, little movies and, like, we wouldn't know how to, like, change to different shots and, like, do, like, we know, like, the things you do with cameras now. It's, like, I learned so much. Like, we just did, like, a little movie thing for school earlier. Yeah. And we're, like, doing Now we that, know. Now we know, like, what our shoulder shots are, what, um... Two shots. Two shots. There's, like... Three shot, like, raking shot. Like, I knew stuff from before because I, like, I really want to be a director or a screenwriter when I grow up. And this is, like, a total boost up for my, like, future career for being an actor and director and screenwriter because I now know the more I read scripts, the more I learn about scripts, basically. Yeah, and it's great to have a good... And the more I listen to Matt and Ross, the yeah, more it's, I... it's great to have a good relationship with the directors and, like, learn about mm-hmm. um, things you do with cameras and how you direct. It's like, I really pick up from Matt and Ross. I Same. Think it's, he, they've really helped us in the past six months. Cool. So, like, when you guys are on set, um, and you know, you, you, are you are you asking those questions like between scenes? Are you talking to people kind of all the time? Like, we just do like, you know when to bring it up. Yeah, it's like we don't really bring it up. We just start talk. Like Matt and Ross just start goofing around. Like 
it, sometimes we, we, we all goof around between takes. Like, if it's a long camera setup, we just kind of goof around and start talking, and then... That just progresses into, like... It just progresses. Like, you know, like, you could start talking about one thing, and it can be a total different story, like, five minutes later. But, like, we'll, a lot of times we'll pick up on things. And a lot of times we're not even talking to them when we pick up on it. We'll be just listening to what's going stuff, on. stuff, yeah. Like, we, we don't really... Like, they're... Man and Ross are kind of people who are... Like, I... Why I love their directing is because they're, like, straight to the point. Because, mm-hmm. like, some directors are like, ooh, um, do it, like, like, super slow and, like, super, like, philosophized. They're just like, that sucked. Do it again, but better. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, yeah, they're really Like, super upbeat and, like, straightforward. I'm like, okay, I get it right nice. away. They're, they're nice guys. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. Like, they're totally straight to the point towards that's why we, like, progress so much during the show. That's why we've gotten eight episodes done in five months. Yeah, as such, as such young people, they're really great directors. And they're incredible people. They're general. incredible people in general. They're just great to work with. It's an honor to work with them. Mm-hmm. You guys mentioned a lot of 80s movies that you guys were pretty big fans of. Yeah. Was there anything in particular that like you drew upon when you were making it, or you thought of when you were making it, or um, that they told you to like think about, or like, character-wise? E.T., yeah. E.T., The Goonies. E. Yeah, a lot of, there's a lot of movies that really relate with like the relationship with children, like The Goonies, there's e. Stand e. By Me, E.T., and there's all these movies that relate... That, they all go into this. They, they, they all tribute. go into, like... It's all about, like, a lot of this is all about friendship, and, like, there's so many 80s movies that we can watch to really, like, pick up on it and be like, okay, so that's the tone of the movie, that's, like, what's going on, it's like, that's how you should act, like, that's how, like, it's like you just pick up from this listening and watching things, especially the movies that were made in the 80s. And the thing, there's a thing poster back that, or back there, and, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that just kind of shows, whoa, voice crack, it kind of shows, it kind of shows... It's goes. <laughs> yeah, like it just kind of shows. How did you get? Sorry, how did you get picked up? Like, how did you get started on those movies? Was it like your parents just showing you classics? Was it your oh, own? Like, no, it out? was. I started. Maybe. Yeah, I started doing theater in musical theater because of my sister. She was. Uh, she's a singer. She's. She's an actress too, and like I really. The only reason I really started doing this, like, thank you, Sabrina, because like, she was wanted to do acting, I'm like, I want to be like my sister, so I just started acting from there, and I really was like, I'm only going to do musical theater for the rest of my life, no TV, I'm never going to do TV, and whenever I'd get auditions for TV, I'm like, okay, whatever, I got a list, but they're not going to take me, and then I started doing this, I'm like, oh my god, this is awesome, and so, it's mostly my sister that got me into the acting. Yeah, the same kind of, like, it's kind of a, uh, a dual combination, like, my dad, who's a screenwriter, showed me all these great movies, that, like, he showed me E.T. when I was, like, two years old, and I just kind of progressed from there, and that's how I found all these movies, and, like, uh, it was also a combination of my brother, and we'd always watch movies together, and he'd always do, like, voices, and he's always, he'd always want to do skits, and he'd always come up with stuff with me, and I don't think I'd be where I am now if it wasn't for my dad or my mom or my brother, because they all, like, combined my love into filmmaking because they all encouraged filmmaking in the house. So. How do you feel your relationships in real life have affected how you, how your characters interact in the series? It really shows when you get along with people out 
that are just outside of the show. Mm-hmm. Like, if you get along with them, it really shows on camera. So it's like, it's best if you really get to know the people. If you get, especially if you want to get along with them, you really should get to know the people. Because it really does, like, if you're, if you're, if you are friends with someone that you're playing a friend with, it's easy mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. friends with them on camera. So it's really yeah. important to get along with co-workers. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we're like best friends, like, forever now. It was true, like when Basically. you work when you work with someone for even Five like months. two weeks, it's like you get like a special bond with them, like that, especially with kids. So that was our interview with Finn and Gayton. Um that was recorded while I was on set back in February. Um, at the Screen Gems soundstage uh, just south of Atlanta, which is where they filmed all of their interior scenes. Um, so yeah, that's uh, we'll have one more interview coming uh, from Stranger Things with Millie Bobby Brown, who plays Eleven, and stay tuned for that next week. But moving right along, box office report. One of the biggest movies of the summer opened this weekend, and... Maddie and I happened to see it last week. So Suicide Squad, which had a budget of $175 million to make, grossed $135 million in its opening weekend. Uh, second place went to Jason Bourne, which has now brought in $103 million uh, on its $120 million budget to make. Bad Moms, $51 million, only took $20 million to make. Secret Life of Pets... Still going strong. It is now at $319 million, and that only took $75 million to make. Star Trek Beyond coming in fifth, Nine Lives coming in sixth, and seventh, which I have to mention lights out because I'm still really impressed with how well that film is doing. $4.9 million to make, and to date has made $54 million. It's pretty impressive. I haven't seen it. But it's a nice little return. It's a nice little return. I'm betting there's going to be lights out two, three, four, five, uh, and probably. more. <laughs> it's, it's probably the new uh, paranormal activity. Probably so. Um, but moving over to Suicide Squad, let's talk about Suicide Squad. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the 135 million this weekend did that beat out Guardians of the Galaxy? Because I know that was the debate. Whether it was going to uh, opening top weekend, that. yeah. Let me look it up. Opening weekend for Guardians of the Galaxy looks like it made. Opening weekend was ninety four. Oh, it did. Yeah, ninety four million for Guardians opening weekend. Because that was they were talking about Guardians being kind of the benchmark for for the second tier superhero movies. Yeah, I feel like. Um, I don't think you can compare those two. I really loved Guardians of the Galaxy, and I wouldn't um, two totally different movies. Yeah, two <laughs> totally different movies, but and both second tier comic book movies. Fair, um, but Suicide Squad. I wouldn't use the word love to describe anything that I felt for that film. No, not at all. <laughs> no, not at all. There was nothing that I loved about that film. I do think. Um, Jared Leto was awesome and barely in it. Um, wait, let's go through our review yep. before we uh, we break all of this down. So, boredom factor. One to five. 
five being really bored. How bored were you? I was probably two and a half. Okay, so you weren't bored. I wasn't bored, but I I was mildly entertained. You were mildly entertained, but not a three. No. <laughs> um, I'd probably give it a... Mm, I'll give it a two. I'll give it a two and boredom two. Mm, maybe three. Maybe a three. I can't agree with you. <laughs> God, God forbid you should agree with me on something. Um, so, yeah, I'll give it a three. Um, I roll engage, one to five. Five being skull-cracking, rolling eye marbles. Uh, I, I rolling, I was probably about a four. It was... I don't know. There, there was, it was predictable. It was... The, the action really didn't... I don't know. Do a whole lot for me. No, there was nothing that was really that uh, surprising about any of it. Um, I think four is fair. Yeah, the villain was pretty typical. The, the plot was very basic. There was, you know, not a whole lot of surprises to it whatsoever. So we kind of talked about this a little bit um, the night that we saw it and how um, Harley Quinn and the Joker how their story is kind of translated in this film in comparison to the comics. And, of course, you are the comic expert. Well, that's what people say. <laughs> I don't know if it's true. You have a startup company <laughs> that is um, Based in around the comic comic books. space. So <laughs> one assumes. <laughs> but you are. You had have, you have some kind of good notes on that. Well, yeah. I mean, the this this version of the Joker is, is currently what, what they're proje- portraying uh, the Joker to be in the comic book. So he, I mean, definitely more crazy uh, than even Heath Ledger's version of it. Uh, so, I th- I mean, I thought he he did a fantastic job, but even more so, I liked the interaction between him and, and Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. I thought the two of them nailed that. Like, I mean, best performance to me, I think it's the two of them together. I'd say Jared Leto over her, but she was really good too. Well, I, I yeah, it's him over her, but I think the two of them together, every scene that they were in together was fantastic. I agree. I agree. I just, I don't know. I think with all of the hype around his version of the Joker, it's just he's not in it as much as you would expect him to be in it, which maybe was, because I mean, it's, it's a huge, obvious challenge to come into a role that is so well known for how awesome Heath Ledger was in it. And then there hasn't really been a lot of comparisons, at least that I've read between Heath's approach to it and Jared's approach to it, which is kind of surprising. Um, I mean, they're, they're two completely different takes on it. And what Heath Ledger brought was something that was completely new to anything with any time we'd ever seen Joker on the screen. Um, and, I think people were very surprised by that. Fair enough. Do you think there's going to be a sequel to this? Uh, based on the money it made? <laughs> most likely. Yeah, that's probably fair. Um, they need to do a better job with the story next time around. Yeah, they. I'd heard... I'd read a couple different articles about why the story was as choppy as it was. And a lot of it boils down to Warner Brothers panicking... <laughs> uh, because of Batman versus Superman, 
Um, they came in and made a lot of edits after. after the, yeah, yeah, after the original cut of the movie. Well, maybe there'll be a director's cut then, or like a... Maybe. It, something. The director's cut, if there is one, it, it was supposedly a lot darker than this. They, they tried to infuse a lot of humor. I mean, that you know, that is where it was a little bit more similar to Guardians and, and Deadpool. Or like, they tried to get some of that that humor involved in it. I feel like that's a really hard thing to come back and do in post though. I mean, it needs to be something that's like built into your script to start with and not something you come back and edit it to be more like the successful movies that you're comparing it to. But that's the Warner brothers motif. That is (laughs) poor DC. Yeah. I th- when I came out of the um, the screening, so they always have like a um, a PR representative there to kind of take our our thoughts or our quotes on the film, and I I said that you know I thought the story was wasn't as strong as it should have been or as I hoped that it would be, and I really don't think that DC is going to do anything great until Wonder Woman. I don't feel like I feel like that's their chance. But there is plenty of time between now and then for Warner Brothers to step in and do something. So, I, what yeah. to, to mess up Wonder Woman? Oh yeah, or, <laughs> I shouldn't say that. I need to go in with low expectations into any DC movie I go into from That's here on out. Generally safe. It's it's definitely safe. I mean, it, the trailer for Wonder Woman looks fantastic. It's yeah. I mean, it seems to be everything that everybody has been waiting for, but. The trailer, the original trailer for Suicide Squad looked fantastic, too. Right. And it was the it was the second trailer that people got a little bit weird about, right? Yep. Yeah. So, I don't know. Meh. Fingers uh, crossed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> overall, overall, what would you rank it out of our, um, our Atlas system here? Uh, I would barely give it a two. An et. Yep. That's what I would give it as well. An et. Almost an A. (laughs) But we'll go with an et. Because um, Jared Leto and Margot Robbie were so awesome. There there were good performances. They just, there was not a lot to work with. There wasn't. And that seems to be a standard DC movie. Sadly, you are correct. Um... In other movie news, another film that's coming out this Friday, um, well, of course, uh, Suicide Squad came out last Friday, but another movie coming out this week is Florence Foster Jenkins, which stars Meryl Streep and Hugh Grant, along with Simon Helberg, of course, who is famous as um, Howard on Big Bang Theory. And this was this was a pretty good movie. Um I don't know how well it will do just because it's not something, it's not a big flashy summer box office film, Um, but it's definitely entertaining and it's funny and lighthearted and makes you feel warm and fuzzy inside. Um, I feel like those films are kind of rare, kind of rare, especially during the summer when it's just all about blowing things up. It seems to be an odd time for it to come out. It does, it does. Um, but of course, of course, um, Meryl and Hugh and Simon, everyone was great in it. Everyone was great. Um, what was really impressive, specifically about so Meryl is an amazing singer, knows how to sing, and in this movie, she has to be very close to hitting the right notes, and yet 
make it painful. Um, and she does a really good job at that. So the film basically tells the story of uh, Florence Foster Jenkins, which was a real person. So this is based on a true story. Um, she was a New York um, socialite who dreamed of becoming an opera singer despite having a terrible singing voice. And all the people around her kind of supported her and uh, helped her kind of live out this dream of becoming a, a great opera singer um, despite despite her voice. Um, so Simon Helberg was in Atlanta recently to talk about the film. Um, right after Comic-Con, actually, he came through and I was able to chat with him along with some other Atlanta press people uh, at the Fox Theater, which was pretty cool. Sometimes we get to do really cool uh, locations for our interviews that are relevant to the film. So this was kind of cool to do it in the Fox Theater where you know, obviously a, a big theater and theater is a big part of this movie as well. Um, so here is a little clip from my interview with Simon Helberg and the rest will be up on Fanbolt later this week. But you had such kind of just specific mannerisms and a demeanor in the film. How did you create that or what did you kind of tap into for that? Uh, well, I there were a few things that sort of led to that that I guess makes sense and then others maybe were just sort of weird moments of I don't know inspiration that I don't know where where it came from just having fun creating a character but uh, um, there well there were a couple key little things that happened one I remember I was taking piano lessons and, and the piano teacher told me about these these students that would walk around the conservatory these all of the 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 piano majors and these these trained pianists that seem to have these very long arms and and she was talking about this idea of feeling these imagining that you had weights on the end of your your arms that pulled pulled your hands down sort of to the to the floor and so when you played the piano imagining that you had these long arms and you weren't playing with your wrists or you, you were imagining almost that your fingers were being pulled through the keys and i thought oh that's like that image of uh, when you'd come back from summer break and someone would have had a growth spurt, not me ever, but I, I knew people like this. <laughs> and they, they were kind of out of, they, didn't figure, they hadn't really figured out how to use their body yet. It was like they were out of, they, didn't, they weren't coordinated enough to kind of adjust to their newfound height. Uh, so I imagine this guy, it, it seemed to fit him being almost, again, alien or out of his element. Um, and uh, also being uh, se seemingly gay um, at, at a time where that was forbidden and illegal. And I thought, maybe he doesn't know he's gay either, because this moment, you know, especially if it's frowned upon people. And, and him being from, uh, born in Mexico and then to moving to Texas as a kid, and so English being a second language, and then moving to New York, and I don't know, what is, what is that, uh, how does that manifest, um, I guess, and, and I saw it as manifesting in, in I, I guess, a sort of uh, this, like, gecko-like posture, um, being completely exposed, exposed and vulnerable, and having your neck out, literally, and kind of your eyes on the sides of your head, taking it all in, and, um, I don't know. It just uh, there was something about him that I could see, and, uh, and he was so pure. And it's fun to watch someone so pure get caught up in something so kind of oddly 
deceitful but still innocent and yeah. you know it's such a heartwarming story with like I don't know, you just leave it, you, you feel good, you want to like protect the ones you love and like, can you talk a little bit about like the message and what you hope that people kind of take away from that? Because the innocence and that kind of wanting to protect someone you love is such a poor message. Yeah, I think that that, uh, th that's, I, I hope that's what people take away from it because I think, you know, the other version is that oh, they were just doing this to exploit her or to, to profit or opportunistic ideas. Or, and I actually don't really think that is what the story is at its heart. And I, and I think there are elements, you know, people aren't always altruistic and you gain the, these people around her who also insulated her and also helped her live out kind of a, a, this delusion. They did profit from her, I mean, financially, but also artistically and emotionally. But... I do think that it was about nurturing this her purity and her passion and her dream, and that's something that in children, um, I think we naturally tend to do sometimes, you know. And you, usually, when you you see like a a three year old belting out a, a song from you know The Lion King or or scribbling on a piece of paper or dancing around the room you don't tend to say no 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 that's not how you you know or this is your technique is all wrong or like you have no future in this business you know you you actually their joy is is infectious and you experience that and you nurture it even if you just for that moment and so for her that she she had that childlike you know abandon and it that's I think a rare thing and it's I think it's nice to see that um, protected, even though, you know, it ultimately in the end it, it might have been her her downfall, sort of finding out maybe what reality was. But then at the at the end of that, even the moment after that, I think is kind of questioning what reality really is anyhow, because what we hear in our head is different from what people hear. You know, uh, the voice inside our head is different than the voice they hear. That's the way that that's always the way it is anyhow and so it does kind of question the, this idea of perception and um, like she said you know she uh, the, the great line at the end of the movie about um, people may say that I couldn't sing but they'll never say I didn't sing and that, that is that is kind of I think that's the heart of, of it so that's the success so that was Simon Helberg Simon <laughs> What really surprised me about him is obviously he's had insane success with Big Bang Theory. They're going into, I think, is there a tenth season? Something tenth? like Ninth that. Ninth or tenth yeah, season? Yeah, it's, it's up there. Um, and of course, they're all really like the status of Friends now, like the the cast members of Friends in the final seasons of that show. Um, so it was. I don't know. I didn't, he's, he's a very, he's like an actor's actor. Um, very obviously as you, as you can probably tell, um, he is musically trained. He played everything in the film. He, it was like 10 years that he took piano lessons and, um, yeah. So he is, he's an actor's actor. Quite talented. Yeah. It was, it was really cool. He was a really, really nice guy. Um, so that movie hits theaters this Friday, and I'll, I'll do a quick little review on it, even though I've, I've kind of talked about how much I adore it. Um, as far as 
boredom factor. I wouldn't say I was bored. It's it's a kind of slow movie, but it's but it's fun and it's enjoyable. So boredom factor, I'm gonna give it a I'm gonna give it a one. I wasn't really bored. Um, eye rolling, I can't say as I rolled my eyes in it, so I'm also gonna give it a one for that. Uh, best performance, I mean, any movie that has Meryl in it. She's generally... It's usually a safe bet. Yeah, yeah, it's usually a safe bet that she's the best performance. Uh, Worst performance? There wasn't anyone that was uh, bad in it. Uh, Everyone gave great performances. The secondary cast, um, supporting actors, everyone was was great. Um, So I don't really have an answer for that one. Um, Overall, I'm going to give it a a four. So it's going to get an Atla from me. Uh, it was a it was a good movie. Uh, so if you're looking for something that's not Suicide Squad or um, Jason Bourne, Jason or... Bourne, or an animated movie about pets, um, I recommend checking that one out this weekend. It's it's a it's a good movie. Uh, so next week we're gonna have our review of Seth Rogen's Sausage Party, which should be interesting. <laughs> um, And of course, uh, I want to go ahead and say this in case you need a little bit of time to get your calendar ready for August 18th. We're going to be doing Project Cosplay at 9 p.m. at Joystick Game Bar on Edgewood here in Atlanta. Uh, Make sure you come early as seats are limited. We're going to be in the back room. So come get a drink and enjoy the Suicide Squad themed Project Cosplay this month. And before we go, I want to give my co-host a chance to tell you about his company, which I think is super, super cool and relevant to all of the Suicide Squad conversation we had here today. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Um, So Farago Comics is a free digital comic book app uh, available for iOS or Android devices, Uh, and it is a, a free app for free comic books, so... Download it and read as many comic books to your heart's content. Uh, now, little disclaimer, it's not your mainstream Marvel and DC stuff, but it's uh, a lot of talented people and a lot of great work on there, so give it a chance and give it a read. And if you come to Project Cosplay on August 18th, we will have some buttons and some swag from, from Project. Buttons, posters, buttons and, and stickers. Buttons and stickers. Everybody loves buttons and stickers. Everyone loves free things. That is true. So there will be that there. Um, And that's it for this week. So again, my name is Emma Loggins, editor-in-chief with FanBolts, and I was joined by Maddie Ryan. Bye. (laughs) We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 